Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12 this morning. It is good to be in the house of God. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of God. It is a wonderful time to come together in God's, God's house and fellowship with God's people. Enjoy the Holy Spirit and the comfort and praises as we come together in one place. What a blessing. Hebrews 12, pick it up in verse number 1. Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You pray with me and for me this morning, if you would. Our Father, we thank you this morning that you have been so gracious, uh, so long-suffering, so steady uh, through 2,000 years of church history, and yea, before that. We thank you, Lord, that we have... um, some instruction here this morning that really is applicable to any time in church history, but we're seeing how much dearer a passage of Scripture like this is to us uh, in the times that we live. So we thank you, Lord, this morning that you have allowed us to study this, look at this together, and I do pray that you'd bless your people today. Help us to stay in the race. Help us not to uh, be faint or weary in well-doing. And allow us, Lord, to receive what we need to receive and leave here different than we came today. If there's one that is joining us online or even today in our services that is lost, I pray, God, they will get saved before it's eternally too late. That they would uh, trust the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through Jesus as, as their Savior. So we do pray you'd help us, guide us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Steps for staying in the race. But nowhere in the Bible are we promised as believers that the Christian life is an easy life. Uh, We have a great ending, but there's no promise that we have an easy life. Uh, In fact, uh, it's uh, the opposite is true. And in fact, John chapter number 16, verse 33 says, these things have I spoken unto you that uh, in me, you might have peace in the world. Ye shall have tribulation. That's a, that's a promise. Uh, so I say, Pastor, is that true? That's what Jesus said. You're, you, you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So even in the difficulty of the day, be of good cheer. God's people ought to be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. And so difficulties, as you understand, we're, are, we're going to come. They're, they're going to come. They're inevitable. Uh, and in fact, trials are inevitable. Uh, hardships are inevitable. And when these times come, we, and I've seen it happen, we could be tempted just to quit on God. Step out, stay away, and uh, fall out. And, and by the way, that's, that's a common practice across Christendom today, not even in the United States, but around the world. They just drop out of the race. And so this seems to be the idea of the book of Hebrews, suffering Jewish believers in Jerusalem, most likely. I don't know the author of the book of Hebrews. I believe it's the Apostle Paul. 
but writing to some very struggling believers uh, during the beginning of the uh, church, uh, the church age. But it's also an application and a book written to the tribulation saints, the Jewish people in the tribulation period. And so these Christians were enduring terrible, terrible persecution and trials. Uh, and it started, by the way, the persecution of the church started in Jerusalem. James was killed with a sword. Stephen was stoned. And, and on and on, down through uh, church history, martyrdom and difficulty and tribulation and difficulty down through the ages. And so these Christians were enduring some very difficult things. So in light of that, the writer, of course, I think the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is attempting to kind of give them some admonition. Take these hurting believers that, that uh, are uh, being, if you would, slammed by the culture, slammed by false religions, and say, hey, be faithful, keep running, stay with it, continue running your race. And so as you look at this, uh, you'll find that he uh, compares the Christian life to that of a race. In fact, verse number one says, in the last part, run with patience. Now, I want to be real upfront with you. I've never liked running. I, 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 in fact, hate running. I'm not, I don't, I'm not built like a runner. Uh, I, I'm just not. So, but when I got in the military, that was one of the things you had to do is run. Well, I I didn't do that well. And it was, it was very difficult. Uh, I didn't understand about, you know, stride and pacing yourself and I didn't like it. But some of those guys would come running by me and I like to trip them up, you know, and uh, two miles, three miles, four mile runs, and sometimes 12 miles and 24 mile forced road marches. It's, it, it was part of the DNA of infantry and, and in the military, but I never liked it uh, because it just was tough. It was hard, it was hard on your body, hard on your legs, hard on your feet, and uh, you just get weary, you get tired, uh, you just get blisters, it, you're carrying all kinds of stuff, and, uh, and yet you had to finish. There was no option. You're not going to get put in the, well, maybe the Marines, they go back with the deuce and a halfs, but most of us would have to actually get back, and, uh, and you're not going home unless you're walking home. And so, so what the Apostle Paul is doing here is reminding the believer that you are in a race. It is not like a quick dash. And by the way, we see quick dashes all the time. They come and go all the time. Uh, People hop in church, they hop out of church, they go somewhere else, they fall out. That's unfortunate, but it is unfortunately the case in our culture today. More people are getting out of ministry than coming into the ministry. More missionaries are coming off the field than going on the field. And uh, and many times in communities around our country, uh, churches do no more than just trade members in terms of, of growing, and some will leave and some will come. And that's kind of how it's been for the last 40 years. So he's not talking about a quick dash. The Christian life is compared to that of a marathon. Something is going to take more time. In fact, it's a race. A marathon would be more of a race that, that, that requires some preparation. Some things that you're going to have to know in order to finish your race, or as the Apostle Paul said, finish your course. So in a day when believers or runners uh, seem to be dropping out uh, hand over foot, uh, uh, there's, there, there is a time where it could be easy to do that and, uh, and very difficult and many times 
Unfortunately, reality is people just dropping out. And so when trials come, there may be uh, a temptation to simply say, you know what, I'm done. Uh, I've tried. I've worked. But I want to help you this morning. I want to help myself this morning. And uh, I, I know that we're, we're, we're in fights, not only our internal fights. We argue against ourselves. Uh, we had a debate this morning, you know, church, no church. I mean, many people in Christian in our would just kind of stay in bed and and watch the wonderful snowflakes come down and just turn on the TV. Which, if you've done that, I'm not chiding you this morning, uh, but I'm saying there seems to always be that inner, if you would, pressure not to do it. Uh, the the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, and that flesh and that spirit just combating each other all the time. The pressure from without, the culture that puts its pressure on you, and then the satanic pressure against the church, against individuals. And so I need this this morning. And I think we, if we want to stay in the race, I think our families need us to stay in the race. Our kids need us to stay in the race. Our grandchildren need us to stay in the race. Our country needs us to stay in the race. So I want to share with you some steps, biblical steps on how you can uh, stay in this thing and not quit. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're facing tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow may bring. I know last week was a crazy week and things have drastically changed yet again in our financial markets from this week's news and, and our financials, uh, are, are, are somewhat questionable right now. Of course, we have the political issues that are very questionable today. And then we have the geopolitical issues. We have the medical issues and I go on and on about what is outside this morning that uh, you may be facing. So I don't know what tomorrow may bring. I don't know what uh, the sunrise will bring before the sun sets tomorrow. But I know this, if we're running a race to please God, there must be a way for me to finish this thing. There must be a way for me to finish this thing. I, I, it, again, it was drilled into us at Bible college. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Uh, they, to, they told us, take the word quit out of the dictionary. It's never going to be an option to quit. And, uh, and yet, unfortunately, uh, God's men and women have basically quit. And it's unfortunate. And we've seen them drop like flies. And so the Lord gives some liberty here, I think, to allow us to share some steps uh, and I'm going to get a little controversial. I'm just going to lay that out here. I'm not trying to be contrary, but that's just how uh, I'm wired. If the Bible says it, I'm going to preach it, and I, I'm not holding anything back. I'm not trying to cause a fight. I'm not trying to get our church censored, but I am going to be very blunt uh, on one of these points, That um, and that's my goal this morning is not just to, to be uh, be uh, harsh, but be absolutely biblical and, uh, and, and truthful with you today. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I have fought a good fight. It's, it's a fight. It's, it's, uh, it's war. Uh, and you are in a fight. You are in a war. And, uh, and Paul says, I have fought a good He had to fight against spiritual wickedness in high places, as you and I have to fight uh, in this race too. And so, but he says, I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. And so Paul, how did you do it? Uh, what was in you that allowed you to finish that course? And so step number one, according to this text right here, look in verse number one, wherefore seeing we also are comp- compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. 
Let me stop right there and say, number one, we need to consider the saints that have gone on before us. Before, listen, before I can really get what I need, some steps, if you would, uh, in keeping in this race, I first need to go back to what he's saying here in verse number 11. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So I need to first consider the saints that have gone on before us. Now, Chapter 1 starts with the word wherefore. Anytime we see the word wherefore or therefore, we want to find out what it's there for. Y'all with me so far? And I've covered this a couple of months ago. And uh, let's go back in chapter 11. And you'll find here that he's referring to people in chapter 11 and beyond chapter 11. These people are a great cloud of witnesses. And, and, that, uh, and it says here the word compassed at surrounding us. They're, uh, they're watching, if you would, this cloud of witnesses are watching us today. And so you find verse number four, you'll find Enoch mentioned there. Uh, in, fa- in fact, verse number five, you'll find Enoch mentioned. Verse number four, Abel uh, is, is mentioned. Uh, down in verse number seven, you'll find Noah mentioned in chapter, uh, verse number eight, uh, Abraham uh, mentioned. And then there's a lot of instruction on what Abraham did. And, and then Sarah, uh, verse number 11, uh, down to Isaac and verse number uh, 20. And then Jacob in verse 21, Joseph, verse 22, and then Moses in verse 23. And then there's Rahab, (laughs) Rahab, verse 31. And then there's a lot of unnamed uh, men and women between verses 33 and verses 39. But I want you to notice with me in verse 32, because there's a couple that are mentioned here that I want to just dig out here. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Also David, of of David also. Now watch in Samuel, and look at this phrase at the end of verse 32. And of the what? Prophets. All right? Very interesting phrase. So the prophets were included. So that would be Jeremiah. That would be Ezekiel. That would be be, uh, Isaiah. That would be uh, the prophets of old. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, prophets of God. And so you'll find here that in this cloud of witnesses, these prophets exist. Now, to understand or step one in finishing my race, I need to consider the saints that have gone on before me. And know this, this is encouraging to me, is that they were not perfect. They all had issues. Every one of them. Why? Because they were people. But they all had one thing in common in verse number 13. These all died in what? Faith. Okay, so they had one thing in common. The word, the word all there is showing that every one of these men and women did one thing that all of them had in common. They all died in faith. They did not quit until the race was finished. They didn't finish. They didn't lay down the sword. They didn't turn back. They stayed in the race. So that means they endured some pain. They had to endure some suffering. They had to endure some loneliness. And when you get down to the last chapter, last part of that chapter, they were sawn asunder. They were sewn with skins. Uh, you talk about the martyrdom and the things that the early church had to deal with. Uh, yet they were faithful unto death. They were faithful. That's why the, uh, uh, that David, when he would write the Psalms, in fact, Psalm chapter 119, you'll find here saying, him saying, help me to keep it unto the end. And so now they're in a different place. Now they're in the grandstands. Now they're watching us. 
Now they're observing our races as we're running today. Now look in verse number one again in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with, look at this, so great a cloud of witnesses. So now they're in an encouragement role. Now, why would God put that in there? Why would God allow us to know and see that there's something or someone or some people that are compassing and watching and they're observing? And it says this word witnesses there, cloud of, now they're watching you. Isn't that great? So we're here in the physical world. They're in the spiritual world. They're watching our races and, and they've already run their race. They've already finished their race. They finished the courses and yet they were normal people. I had you kind of ponder verse 32 of Hebrews 11 where it says, and of the prophets, because when we find out the prophets and Moses and all the Old Testament saints were just normal people. They did extraordinary things, but they were normal people. In fact, Elijah, about Elijah in James chapter 5, he's one of the prophets. Elias, the Bible says, was a man subject like, uh, to like passions as we are. Okay, and uh, he was just like, and of course, he prayed that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. But he was just like you and I. Elijah was. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. The earth brought forth her fruit. So the subject of Hebrews chapter 12 is that these were normal people that ran their races. And now they're watching you run your race. That to me is encouraging because there's nothing extraordinary about the people that ran the race that are watching me now. They did extraordinary things, but not extraordinary people. In fact, you'll find they're pretty much normal. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Isaac deceived. Moses got angry and smote the rock. David committed adultery, and he was a murderer. Samson was a womanizer. Gideon doubted God. Samuel had, had messed up family. And they, they had the same issues maybe that we have today with maybe the exception of murder. Although many of us murder people in our spirit. If you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. Are you all here today? So if you consider these you'll find that these were common men and common women who had had a power of God on their lives and they were being used all the way until their death. They all died in faith. And so how do I get steps for my race? Consider the saints. Consider that they already received their reward. So the people that ran the race are now able to, now they're resting in the Father's presence. They've gone to their reward and because they ran well, they're in heaven and they're in their, 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 because they trusted in Christ, they're in heaven. But now they're in the rest of the Father. Now, if you could say it this way, they're in the place where they're being rewarded for what they've done. I know they haven't, go, they haven't gone to the judgment seat of Christ. I understand that. But the prize now is seen by them. They're now in the presence of the Father. They see Jesus face to face. They're seeing the throne. They're seeing the emerald rainbow around the throne. They're now watching us. And again, I think it should encourage us that their race is over, but now they're witnessing us as we run our races. Wow. 
That's, probably, that's interesting to me. And so the expectation, I think, that Paul had is interesting because in 2 Timothy 4, 8, he says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. And so when I need some instruction, I need to know, first of all, that those people are just normal people that God used, and now they're watching me run my race. They have revealed that God is reliable. I think the greatest encouragement that we find here is that God took care of them. (laughs) And he's going to take care of you. God honored their faith and God is going to honor your faith. God sustained them and God is going to sustain you. Uh, God kept them and God is going to keep you. God used them and God still can use you. God blessed them and God can bless you. God received them and one day he, if you're saved today, going to receive you. Praise God for that. And so notice the Bible calls them witnesses. It's interesting, this word witness. It could be that they're watching every little thing that you do, which in my, that's kind of, wow. Everything that you do, you're being observed by the witnesses. That's one, and they could be. They could be watching everything you're doing. But it does carry the idea that they're witnessing the faithfulness of God working in your life. They're, your, they're witnesses of God's grace because God worked amazing things in their life. That's why seeing where compass about was so great a cloud of witnesses. It's an untold number of people. Because there's unnamed witnesses that are in the cloud of witnesses. I do, I, this is my opinion. I believe the believers that have gone on before us are part of that cloud. They're in the cloud. <laughs> Amen. And they're watching. And they're observing. Can I say it this way? They're cheering you on. They're probably saying something like this. Life goes fast. Give it all to Christ. They're probably saying something like this. Man, it was at a blink of an eye, and now I'm in heaven. I'm thinking of Roger Lenhart this morning that used to sit back there with that smile and that Bible and, and, uh, and a, a prayer warrior, a witnesser for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he ran a good race, and he stayed in the race and all the way to death, and now he's in that cloud of witness saying, keep on, and he'll say, anyways, keep on keeping on, amen? Anyways, just keep on keeping on. And that's how he was, praise God. I'm thinking of many others that have gone on before us. And, and let Brother McDougal uh, and Janelle is about ready to uh, go with Mick as we are rejoicing with her. But Brother McDougal, one of the most faithful men of God in our church and served God for years and stayed faithful all the way to death. Praise God for him. Praise God for great saints of God. Tom and many, many others. I think I saw a picture of, uh, of Brother Braun's father uh, and uh, just seeing him again and uh, Brother Giles and seeing him and, and remembering the jokes that he told and, and Janelle, uh, Janelle uh, and, and of course his wife and, and my mind is slipping me right now, but seeing their picture this morning uh, on the Facebook page, say, wow, he helped build this church and put these walls up. What a, what a great, great blessing and many, many others. I'm just saying this, that I think it, It goes way beyond what was in Hebrews chapter 11. I think it goes to the entire church age that now they're just saying, keep on. Keep going, Scott. All right. Keep going, Russ. Jamie, keep going. 
Keep going. Let's keep, keep going. Because you're going to come here. You're going to go to your reward. This is real. Jesus is real. The throne is real. The, 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 the angel, angelic choir is real. The, the lives that have been changed are real. And they're saying, keep on keeping on. We ought to consider the saints that have gone on before us. Step number two. Step number two. We ought to consider what we're carrying, the weight that we're carrying. So this is, again, back to chapter 12, verse number one. The next part, let us lay aside what? Every weight. Okay, so I didn't know this. I mean, I know now that just a little, a few ounces of, of, of extra shoe, if you would, becomes very heavy uh, later in the race. It's okay in the beginning, but later in the race, just an extra ounce here, an extra uh, 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 ounce there, it starts to uh, show up later in the race. It's okay, like I said, you start off, man, you don't even feel it, but then you start feeling it. That, that rucksack, that rucksack starts to get heavy after about two, three, four, five miles and 10 miles. And the, the, uh, the M60 is, uh, about 33.3 pounds, just that, that weapon and, and carrying that. And, and just, uh, I remember marching there in Fort Benning, Georgia, and uh, it was July 30th or something like that. It was 106 degrees out, and it was a it was a force road march back to the barracks, 21 miles. And here I am. I remember looking down at my arms, and they were burning as I'm carrying the M60 and a full rucksack at 70 pounds. And of course, combat fatigues, and there's no tennis shoes. It is some some other guy's boots that you're wearing, and you're just marching and you're working. I remember looking down at my arms, saying, "Man." Why did I even do this? <laughs> what am I doing this for? And I, then I, I thought about how the Marines are, are, are back and uh, powdering their faces. And I said, I can keep on doing this. Amen. So let us lay aside every weight. Now, here, here's what I want. Just, this is very interesting to me. If a race is going to be run right, a wise runter, runner uh, will, will make so, certain preparations. He'll, he'll, he'll count the cost. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll start to maybe leave things that he doesn't need. I don't need this. I'm not going to use this and I'm just going to lay that aside. And uh, why? Because he wants to finish. He doesn't want to get bogged down in the middle of the race because he's carrying too much. And the same is true for a spiritual run. Um, you're, you're not going to reach the goal and have the victory that you could have if you don't let go of some weight. You're just not going to have. You're not going to finish. And so that's why weights are needing to be laid aside. You need to be honest. Uh, we, we, you just need to look at what needs to be th- thrown out. You ever go into a closet and say, we haven't used that in 14 years, and why are we holding on to that? You ever do that? You ever do one of those cleaning things in your house? My wife loves it. And the kids sometimes find toys that they have not used in a couple of weeks in a trash. No, not, not a couple of weeks. But if it's if it sits around our house too long, it's pretty much gone. It just disappears. And we don't know where it went. Uh, Lynn's just cleaning things out. And I go right along with her, man. Clean it out. Throw it out. We don't need it. Why? Because it's just laying around. So the runner is going to be sure that I want to finish this, but I'm going to have to take some extra weight off. You know, you know a 600-pound man can't run a marathon. I mean, he can't even go up a flight of stairs. He can't do that. Why? He's overweight. He's got too much weight. In the spiritual arena, if we're carrying too much, we're not going to finish. 
It's not going to finish. So seeking entertainment instead of fellowshipping and communing with God's people is a weight that you need to lay aside. Seeking possessions and the things of this world instead of seeking God is a weight that needs to be laid aside. Giving our attentions to things like music and and, and shows and movies that, that do not focus our minds on the Lord is a weight that needs to be laid aside. Uh, consuming yourself with things that you can't change is a weight. It's a weight. It'll consume you. And listen, I would say this to our disciplers. Listen, when you're discipling, <laughs> the Bible's clear in 1 Timothy 1, 4. The Bible says, neither give heed to fables. What is a fable? It's a story. It may or may not be true. And endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edification or godly edifying. So as believers, ladies and gentlemen, our goal is to not be consumed with things we, I can't change what's happening in Washington. I got one phone call, that's it. I can't change what's happening in my world, but I know this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is true, his promises are true, he is going to return, and so I need to focus on what I know is true. And we can get so distracted, so distracted on things we can't change. So I encourage all those that are in discipleship when you meet, can you just do this? And I understand there's a temptation to talk about all the current events. Why don't we just turn that down and get in the Bible? Are you all here? I'm talking to myself today. Because many times we're consumed with things that we can do nothing to change. So it's a weight. Lay it aside. That's what it says. Lay it aside. What does that mean? You're not looking back. It's aside. It's not in front of you. It's, behind, it's going to be behind you. You're moving forward, and you're going to finish your race. Step one, consider the saints that have gone on before you. Step two, consider the weight you're carrying. Step three, this is where it's going to get interesting. Consider the danger of your sin. Consider the danger of your sin. The Bible says, let us lay aside every weight, comma, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Notice that the word beset is dealing with your sin. And it also says that it easily besets you. Sin besets. Now, if you look at the structure of that sentence, the weight is bad, but weight will not beset you. But the sin will. This is a dangerous, dangerous part of this, of this race. There is what we call in Bible interpretation the law of first mention. And typically when you look at the first time a word is used in the Bible, it, um, it lays out, if you would, a, a method of interpreting or understanding that word throughout the scripture with few exceptions. And so the word itself Beset simply means this, to surround, to enclose, to hem in, to besiege, to press on all sides so as to perplex, to entangle so as to render escape difficult or impossible. So beset simply means you're surrounded. 
And so it tells you something about sin's goals. Sin has an intoxicating effect on believers. And it has a surrounding effect on your lives. It refers to the sins that surround us, trap us, make it almost impossible to escape. So sin is dangerous and sin will appear, by the way, very small. It'll appear as if it's just uh, something that you can deal with. But sin will seduce and ultimately sin will surround. In fact, I'll just put this verse in here. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 19. The Bible says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same, he is brought in bondage. Can I just say this way, ladies and gentlemen, that sin is deadly. So when we get to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1, chapter 12, verse number 1, we're seeing that the sin, not a, the sin that doth so easily surround, beset, hem us in, make it impossible to escape. So when you look up the law of first mention, this gets really interesting. It's a great way to read your Bible and study your scripture. And I want you, if you would, to go back to Judges chapter 19. Real quick, Judges 19. We're going right to the first time this word is used, Judges 19. Be set. And when you get to Judges 19, typically when preachers preach, uh, they'll preach chapter number 18, and they'll skip to maybe chapter 20, and maybe do some commentary into the uh, last couple of chapters, because there's a lot of bloodshed, there's a lot of loss, there's a war uh, that takes place after chapter 19. But this is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible, one of the cruelest chapters in the Bible, uh, one of the most blatant disregard for any human pity in the Bible, chapter 19 of, of, uh, of Judges. Very interesting. Huge amount of questions in this chapter. In fact, if you would read this chapter, you'll come out with, wow, how could that happen? Uh, and you'll find here the story is of a man that's uh, traveling with his concubine, and he's got one of a young male servant with him, and, uh, and they're on their way from Bethlehem, Judah, and they're headed to the side of Mount Ephraim. And so what happens in the middle of this travel, this uh, night falls, and they, they have to turn aside, and they're near a city called Gibeah. And if you look and pick it up in verse number 15, and they turn aside thither to go into lodge in Gibeah, and when he went in, he sat with him in the street of the city. Now watch this phrase here. For there was no man that took them into his house to lodging. Now, I don't know about you, that could be a little clue. You might be in the wrong town. Something is different. I remember Lynn and I, we were uh, newlyweds and, uh, and, and uh, out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we had a wonderful time, our first four years of marriage, and our whole, whole marriage has been wonderful, but it's, it's getting better, and uh, in fact, this is the greatest day of our marriage. No, uh, but our first four years, we didn't have any kids. We would just go on dates. We'd just spend time, you know, going to Walmart. We just, we didn't have money, but we just... So one day we had a few extra dollars and we went on to the other side of the Sandia Mountains to take the back way up to Santa Fe. And there's a lot of small little towns going up there. Uh, and we stopped in a town called Madrid. And I remember getting out of the car 
And I looked at her across the hood of the car, and, uh, and I said, mm, something's not right. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. I just, I sense something's wrong. I don't, I can't put it. I said, my, my spirit just is, is really, really heavy right now. And I forget the word exactly that I used. And so we said, well, let's go get some ice cream, you know. So we held hands, walked down this little small town to get to the ice cream shop. And uh, we go to the ice cream shop. We saw pentagrams and all kinds of symbols inside there. We went to another little store. And on on the counter, it says, the spirit that guards this store will torment you if you steal anything. And we thought to ourselves, maybe we should just get in the car and go. Found out later there was a very heavily satanic town. Uh, And if you're from Madrid and you're watching, clean it up. (laughs) But there's just some towns you go into, you know that it's something different. It's not right. So he's sitting down the street. He's got his concubine. He's got a young male servant. He's got the provender for the asses that he has with him. Now verse 16 says, Behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also at Mount Ephraim. And uh, he sojourned in Gibeah, but the men of the place was, uh, were uh, uh, Benjamites. So this guy is kind of an outer towner, if you would. He's not from Gibeah. He's from uh, Ephraim, but look at verse 17. And when he lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man. This is the guy sitting there in the street, uh, in, uh, in the city. And the old man said, whither goest thou and whence comest thou? Where are you going? Where'd you come from? And he said unto him, we are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of the Mount of Ephraim. Uh, from thence I am. That's where I'm from. And I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going, listen to this, to the house of the Lord. And there is no man that receiveth me to house. So I'm going to go to church. I want to get back to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to church, but I just got to stay here tonight. And, um, but no one's opening their door to me. Now that's a clue. The old man said, peace be with thee. Howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me. Verse 20, only lodge not in the street. You need to get off the street. Why? (laughs) Now, It gets really interesting. Verse 22. And as they were making their hearts, Mary, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial. Look at the first time this word is used. Beset. Beset the house round about and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house and the old man saying, bring forth the men that came into thine house that we may know him. Now you understand biblical understanding of what the word no means. They wanted to have a, a, a immoral relationship with this man, this new guy, this new flesh, if you would, this in town. They're beating the house now. They're outside of the house. These are men of the Belial. What does that mean? That's another word for the devil. And so this is a bad situation. They are surrounded by men of the devil beating. Can you imagine how, how un nerving that would be beating on the house bring out the men i know there's a man in there bring them out so they're surrounded by these uh men of the devil this is a bad situation and you'll find it's almost mirroring exactly what happened in genesis chapter 19 when the two angels came into sodom and gomorrah to rescue lot and his family to get him out before god rained down fire and judgment and brimstone on that city But look what he says in verse number uh, 22. 
bring forth the man that we came, that, that came into thy house that we may know him. And, uh, and what they wanted to do is sodomize this new man in town. How do I know that? I'm not going to ask you to turn there. Genesis 19, you'll find almost the same exact request. Men of the city came around the house, beat on the door, asking for the two angels to come out and have sodomy, sodomic relationship with them and in the streets and, and perverse and vile things that they were wanting to do. But now verse 23, it says here, And the man said, The master of the house went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, no, my brethren, nay, I pray you do not so, watch this word here, wickedly. Now watch this. I'm trying to establish the law of first mention. If Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, says that we have a besetting sin, the law of first mention is going to show you what that is. Beset. They are around. They're, if you would, on the outside. This is public policy trying to influence private lives. Can I say it that way? In verse 23, it says, do not so wickedly. The word wicked simply means evil in principle or practice. Deviating from the divine law. Addicted to vice. Sinful. Immoral. The 1828 definition dictionary of a definition of wicked or wickedness. Now look at verse 23. Last part of it. Seeing this man has come into mine house, do not this. Next word here. What is it? Class? Folly. So we have these men that are going to perform wickedness. And we find also that they're full of folly. Now we don't use that word a lot today, but it simply means this. It simply means the in, uh, that uh, the want of understanding, the weak or absurd act, highly criminal, an act which is consistent with the dictates of uh, with, with the dictates of reason or with the ordinary rules of prudence. Prudence, in this sense, it may be used in a singular, but is generally in plural. Hence, we speak to the follies of youth. It's an absurd act which is highly sinful. Any conduct, uh, conduct contrary to the laws of God or man would be under folly. Watch this. Law first mentioned. The ones that are outside of this home are full of wickedness and they're full of folly. They are going to go against all of God's law. They are going to perform acts that are against the very nature of God. That's what they're wanting to do. Then it says in verse 24, and the last part here, but unto this man do not this, what's this word here? Y'all with me today? Vile thing. Vile, so vile a thing. So now we have this word vile or vileness simply means baseness, meanness, despicableness, moral baseness or depravity, degradation by sin. Watch this, extreme wickedness. Now, can we just say this? We got wickedness, folly, and vileness. These, listen, law first mentioned, they're now surrounded by these, if you would, types of people. Very bad situation. Now, look, now listen to this. Listen, and I want you to. Just stay with me for a little bit. Look in verse 24. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden. Now, I'm going to say something very controversial here. And it most likely will be censored. If not now, maybe later. 
Here is my daughter, a maid, she's a virgin, and his concubine. Them I will bring out and humble ye them. In other words, do what you want to do with them. Have your pleasure with them. And do with them what seemeth good unto you. Now, you're saying to yourself right now at this place, this time, wow, this guy is heartless. I mean, for him to offer a virgin and a concubine that wasn't even his to give to these men and let them do with these men, uh, with these, these, these two women, would be a heartless thing to do. And you're right. It's a horrible thing. That's why when you look at chapter 19, you say, well, let's just kind of skip this. This is a very difficult thing. But I wish you, look at the Bible here. He says, uh, there's a colon here, but unto this man do not so vile a thing. But, verse 25, the men would not hearken to him. So the men took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. When the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell at the door of the man's house where, the, where her Lord was till it was light. We find out later she was dead. So, side note, side note, I'm getting from the scripture, and you can disagree with me if you like. I would like to debate that. As horrible of a sin as it was for these men to gang rape this concubine all night long until they murdered her is better than homosexuality. That's vile. He said... This is bad. But if you do this thing, this is much worse. Now, that is a totally anti-cultural statement. Insensitive. Not trying to be sensitive with you. Biblically speaking, the Bible talks about this type of sin that is actually vomit. The earth vomits this type of sin. Are you all here? So, when you look at this, we have the law of first mention. They're beating at the door. They're sons of Belial, sons of the devil. And they're wanting sex with a man. They can't have the sex with a the man. They rape the girl and they kill her. Law of first mention, watch this. When you are dealing with sin, watch this. When it surrounds you, it's a dangerous situation. Are you all here today? Hold that thought. Go to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22. You're doing good so far. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 and verse number 1. Actually, verse number 10. Oh, you know Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is one of the Messianic Psalms. You'll find that the Lord Jesus Christ quotes from Psalm 22 while he was on the cross. When you look at the Psalms, they're giving you the insights to what's going on in the mind of Christ while he's on the cross. Okay, when you're on the Gospels and listening to the Gospels, you're hearing the audible voice. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, forgive them for they know not what they, what they do. I thirst. All these are verbal statements from the cross. One being a prayer. You all with me so far? 
But when you get into the Psalms, you're finding out what is going on in the spiritual world and in the mind of the Messiah. So it's a messianic Psalm. It is dealing with the Messiah. So you're going into the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to watch, if you would. I don't have time to really unpack all this, but look in verse number 10. The Bible says, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have come past me. Strong bulls have Bashan have what? Beset me round. Now you look down, if you would, in verse number 21. It says, save me from the what? Lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Now, I don't understand that whole last part of that verse, but I will say this. The Lord Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, and he's looking beyond the soldiers that are crucifying him, beyond the women that were weeping, beyond the passerbyers that were saying reviled him, and they cursed him, and they wagged their heads, and he said he saved others himself. He cannot save, and if he be the Christ, come down from the cross, and we'll believe. He is looking at that, but beyond all that, he's asking the Lord, the God, his God, his father, to save him from the lion's mouth. Watch this. Why? He is surrounded by the bulls of Bashan. He is surrounded by devils. We'll use the word demons, but devils, a biblical word, devils are all around him. Spiritual wickedness at the cross. So, when you start studying the word beset, beset could be being surrounded by wickedness, the culture, pressing in you in your home, banging on your doors. Let me in. Let me have you. The other application is you are surrounded by wickedness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, you are surrounded by, if you would, demons and darkness and, and, and principalities besetting you. Are you all catching the theme of this word here? Look in Hosea chapter number 7. Hosea chapter 7. All right, almost finished with this point here. Hosea, there was probably a whole sermon in this one point. Hosea chapter 7, you're doing good. Verse number 1. Look at God speaking here to uh, Israel and Ephraim here. Verse number 7, verse number 1. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was what? Discovered. And the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood. And the thief cometh in, and the troop and robbers spoil it without. So what's happening here? Now you've got sin that has been discovered. Now something's happening to them. They have the thief coming in. What is the thief doing? He's coming in. He's taking. Then you find there's spoilers or robbers spoiling without. So you're getting, you're, you're being taken. Okay? What you think is valuable is now being taken because of iniquity or sin. It's been discovered in Ephraim. It's been discovered here in, uh, in Israel. And because of that, we have the thief coming in. We have troops and robbers spoiling or taking away from without. That's a bad situation. Now look in verse number two. Why is this? And they considered not in their hearts that I remember all their what? Wickedness. Now we're dealing with our personal sin. Okay, Ephraim's sin. Now their own doings have what? Beset them about. Are you all catching this idea here? So their own sin now is surrounding them. Now they're 
<laughs> now they're surrounded by their very acts of their own sin. They're being, if you would, taken captive. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm uh, 9, talking about the judgment of God, and the Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God. But back in verse number 15, uh, the Bible says, uh, in the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgments which he executeth. The wicked is snared by the work of his own hands. Ladies and gentlemen, watch this. When you sin, you're being surrounded by that sin. There is a effort on the part of sin, not just to play tag with you. Sin always attempts to ensnare and trap and surround and beset. That's the purpose of sin. That's why it attempts to surround you. Second Timothy three says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away for this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins and led away of, of, of diverse lusts, ever learning and ever able to come to the knowledge of truth. Watch this. Captivity comes by playing with sin. So our sin is entrapping us. Our sin is besetting us. Evil spirits, demons besetting us. Peer pressure, public policy, the spirit of the Antichrist, the age, Satan. And as you look at this point here, back in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, lay aside every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us, you better lay aside that sin. Why? Because it can easily surround you. Be on your family's door. Be on your soul. Be on your mind. Be on your heart. And enslave you. And now you're a puppy dog. You're bowing down to that sin. Never underestimate the power of lust in your life, ladies and gentlemen. Never underestimate the power of anger. Just a little anger. It'll engulf you. It'll surround you. Never underestimate the power of hatred. Why well, don't hate? I just don't like him. Whatever you want to call it. Never underestimate the power of a grudge. Never underestimate the power of gossip. It'll surround you. It's a sin. It's a sin. Can I say that again? Gossip is sin. Slander is sin. Never underestimate the power of jealousy. Never underestimate the power of stubbornness, pride. Why? Because what it's attempting to do is beset you. And it easily besets. No. There's always a way of escape. I praise God for that. I would like to say that God can give you a way of escape way before you get surrounded. <laughs> and so lay it aside. Don't let it surround you. Listen, don't play tag with it. Don't agree with it. Don't pet it. Don't, uh, don't take it as, as light. It is a horrible, dangerous Sin in your life, dangerous for you and to you. You don't need it, laid aside. You don't need the gossip, laid aside. The jealousy, laid aside. Pride, laid aside. You're going to have to agree with God against your own sin. Now, this is where it gets hard. It's one thing for us to say, well, the sodomites are beating on my door, man. I'm on one side, they're on the other side. That's one thing. Uh, it's another thing to say, you know, I'm on the inside, Satan's on the outside. Boy, they're surrounding me, but God's still good. Yes, that's another thing. But we're dealing with our own sin. That's when we start saying, you know what, it's not that bad. 
but we have a biblical promise. You either believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible that it will beset you. So consider the danger of your sin. It is powerful. So running your race, I'm going to finish with this. Running your race, you're considering the saints that have gone on before you. You are considering the weight that you need to lay aside. You need to consider the danger of your sin. And you need to look to, in fact, verse number 12 back in Hebrews, and I'll read it for time's sake. The Bible says, let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. I'm going to give some more next week in verse number two, but running with patience has the, carries the idea that you're just going to have to bear up. You're going to take some hard times. And the Bible says it is a race, and I like the word here, that is set. Your race is different than another person's race. Your race may have cancer. Your race may have difficulties in relationships. Your race may have pits and valleys where another race may be more green hills and sunshine. Your race may be storms. Your race may be floods. Your race may be loneliness. Your race may have family troubles and difficulty. But your race is set. And Bible says that is set carries the idea that God's put it there. It's yours. I can't run your race. Your brother can't run your race. You you must run your own race. Paul's race was different than our race. There's Christians that are serving the Lord faithfully in North Korea. Their race is different than ours. They're they're, they're different. They're they're being persecuted for their faith. We're going to find out later if that ever opens up the atrocities that take place in North Korea, what they're doing. We're going to find out one day. When we get to heaven, we'll definitely find out. The concentration camps that they're in right now because of their faith in Christ. Different races. But we're in a race right now. And we need to run our own race. That's you. That's me. You cannot run my lane. I can't run your lane. Stay in your lane. And I'm convinced that the cause of Christ has been hindered by many who refuse just to run their own race. They used to be serving. They used to be on fire. But they're no longer. They're not running the race anymore. So we're not in a competition. I'm not here to say I'm better. I'm not here to say that we're better than this church over here. When, uh, when Pastor Jeff Maranatha called me and he told me he led that man to Christ, I said, praise God, we win. We're on the same team. Our course has been individually designed by God, carefully crafted by him to bring him glory and honor. And that race you're running needs to be run and needs to be run with patience. And the thing you and I can do is run our race the best that God has given us the ability to run it. And look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, which is the next principle by guarding your priorities. And I'm not going to unpack all that right now, but can I just say this with great, a great deal of caution that you are susceptible to dropping out. In fact, your faith is vulnerable. Your faith can be overthrown. You can't lose your salvation, but you can, you can lose your faith. The Bible says, talks about that military term, their faith being overthrown. It's a military term. You can have that. And if you weren't vulnerable, why would we have in Ephesians chapter 6, which tells us to take on the whole armor of God, why would we have that if we're not vulnerable? You are. Why? You're in a war. 
You're in a war. So ladies and gentlemen, can we say this? Steps to finish your race. Lay these in your mind and heart. You are being watched. Amen. You're being encouraged. You're being, if you would, witnessed by the glory of God, those that have already gone before us. You are to consider what you're carrying. You don't need. Dump it. You're to consider how dangerous your sin is. Lay it aside. Why? Because it's going to try to surround or beset you, and it'll do it easily. And then you are to run with patience.